It's a joke, guys. Goodness gracious. Okay, it's not bad. Stand, please, as I read 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8 through 13. And hear the word of the living God. Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, and let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you. We thank you for the truths of the gospel, for the wonders of Christ, for the presence of your spirit, for your word before us, that you in your wisdom, perfection, and plan have laid out before us your very inerrant, infallible, inspired word. So Lord, would you give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts that are made soft by your converting power. And Father, I now pray that whatever proceeds from this mouth that is not of you would fall to the floor and remain unheard. For the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Lord Jesus, you said heaven and earth may pass away, but your word will never pass away. So God, would you speak to us today? Even this day, this Lord's day morning, would you, the God of glory, speak? Father in heaven, speak. Your children are listening. Have mercy in the name of Christ. Amen. You may be seated. It's a difficult thing to be served. It's a difficult thing to be served. You might not think so, but if you've, this is something I grew up with. My, I would be with my dad and I learned, I learned many lessons from my father. Uh, but one lesson I learned from my dad is that it's impossible. It's really, really difficult. Uh, while somebody else is working, they're working on a project, they're cleaning up the house, they're doing whatever. It's really, really hard to sit there and do nothing while someone right in front of you is working hard. Any amens? Am I the only one? Some people are like, seem like it's totally fine. Kick back in the recliner, uh, watch, turn on TV, and let everybody else do everything else. Um, so I'm going to admonish your laziness and say, don't be like that. Uh, but at the same time, I want to admonish... The Martha's in the room. You know the story of Jesus where uh, Mary and Martha, he comes to visit Mary and Martha, whose brother is Lazarus. And this is a different episode than, than Lazarus. But, uh, and Jesus comes to visit them. And Martha is running around with her, her hair on fire. She's cleaning and cooking and doing everything a hostess would do. Very stressed out that Jesus is coming and she's working very hard, preparing a meal. And what is Mary doing? She's sitting At the feet of Jesus listening. And Martha feels like 
Are you, are you serious, sis? I'm out here laboring and working and preparing something for Jesus, and you're sitting there listening to him talk. And Jesus gently, lovingly tells old busy Martha that Mary chose the better portion. That for all of our desire to, at least for me, to be, uh, and, and many of you already testified to it, to be a hard worker, to take what God has given to us, and whether it's at work or at home or with family or with marriage or with the yard, if I had time, to work hard at it, to be busy, to be going, to get up and go. You want to be that sort of person. But sometimes, and I would say, dare say, oftentimes, we need to stop and to be served. When Jesus describes his ministry at the end of Mark chapter 10, verse 45, he said that the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That the Son of Man, Jesus Himself, consider who that is, right? He's the, the King of glory, the Lord of love. Through Him, heaven and earth were made. There's, the Apostle John tells us that there's nothing that was made that was not made by Him. That there's no quadrant or arena of creation that exists without the creating power of Jesus. Even the devil and all of his minions exist by the power of the second person of the Trinity. There's no distant galaxy over which Jesus does not have lordship rights as creator. That extends to the farthest galaxies and that extends to every single last person. But not only is there nothing outside of his creational reign, the writer of Hebrews tells us that Jesus upholds the universe. He upholds all things by the word of his power. Not only is there no part of creation, nothing that is actually existing, time, space, matter, people, angels, demons, things out there in the cosmos that we don't even know about yet. All of those things exist by the creating power of Jesus and all of those things continue to exist by the power of Jesus. That you need to stop and to be served. You need to stop and be served as a statement of reality. You need to stop and be served. And what I mean by that, you need to stop and be served because you're created by God. You're, you are not independent. You're not self-sustaining. You're not even self-creating. You exist because God made you. And not only that, but you continue to exist because God made you. You have to stop at some point and be reminded that you are not as independent as you believe you are. You're not as self-sustaining as you believe you are. And as a statement to the reality of things, you need to stop and be served. But dear ones, you need more than a reminder. 
You need more than a reminder that you're created by God and that you're sustained by God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, the triune God. You need more than a reminder of that. You need what is extended to you in Jesus. You need to be served by the Son of Man. And that means the service of Christ is that He gave His life as a ransom for yours. You know what that means? That means that you once belonged to something and someone else. You once were under the tyrannical reign of sin, Satan, and death. You were once in bondage, Christian, to sin. You, you were bent away from God, rebelling against Him, believing you could find your own way. You thought you were choosing an independent path, that you were a self-made woman or a self-made man. You were the captain of your ship, the master of your fate. And what you didn't realize is that that was a lie. The winds of freedom that you felt blew through what was left of your hair. You thought you were free. And all the while, as you choose, chose your way away from God... Each choice of rebellion, each rival love was another chain around your spiritual wrists, shackles around your spiritual feet. Jesus even said that you are enslaved by that which you serve. And yet for all of your freedom, you were enslaved to sin. But beyond that, That outside of what Jesus has come to serve and to do for you. You are enslaved to Satan himself. The Apostle Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 4. That those who are unbelieving that their, their eyes are blinded. That they are blinded by Satan himself. That as you chose rebellion against God. You chose to fall into the ranks of Satan. This is the treachery of seeking independence from God. We believe that we can build our lives, that we don't need his assistance. Denying reality, by the way. I don't need your creation. I don't need your sustaining power. And I certainly don't need the grace that you have given to me in Jesus. I'm going to build my life. I'm going to have my family, maybe. I'm going to have my kids, maybe. I'm going to have my career, maybe. I'm going to have my passions and pursuits, maybe. And all we are doing, we are like those who are building the Tower of Babel. I'm going to build this up and make a name for myself. And all you were doing is building chains. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news that Jesus came to give his life as a ransom for many, means that he died to free you from those chains. To free you from the chains of sin. That you were no longer bound in rebellion against God. To free you from the darkness and enslaving presence of Satan over your life. He came to ransom you back from meaninglessness. To buy you back from the lunacy Of believing that you can somehow exist in this world apart from God. 
to ransom you from sin, Satan, hell, and death. He gave his life as a ransom for yours. But if that will be yours, if that treasure of Jesus will be yours, then you must be served by Jesus. Do you remember in John chapter 13, where Jesus comes to his disciples and he, he takes off his jacket, you know, he wouldn't, he wouldn't really jacket, but he takes off his outer garment and he puts a towel around his waist. You remember this part? And he bends down with a bunch of stinky feet. And he starts washing the feet of his disciples. Has a basin there and a towel and he's, their feet were dusty. They probably were wearing sandals, not the closed-toed shoes most of us are wearing. That's no knock on you who are not. Washing off the dirt, washing off the mud, washing off all the accumulated dust. And this is what he says after, in John chapter 13, verse 12. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. You have washed one another's feet. You must also wash. I have washed your feet. You must wash one another's feet. If we will have part of Christ, we must first be served by Jesus so that we may serve others for Jesus. If we will be Christ's people, we must be served by Christ. And to be served by Christ means that you need to know you need what Jesus offers. You need to know that you don't have what it takes. You need to forsake your independence. Forsake your illusion of independence. And say, Jesus has come to wash your feet. He's come to wash your soul. He's come to free your life. He's come to restore you. To reconnect you to God and to other people and to his purpose for you in the world. But if you think that you're full, that you've built your tower and you don't need anything else, then you will have no room for Jesus. Or, perhaps worse, more deceitful, not only will you not have room for Jesus, but you'll believe that you can just simply take a little bit of Jesus and tag it on to the end of your life. Just a little bit of church, maybe a little bit of Sunday school, maybe even a little bit of Wednesday night. And you're going to live your life as though you don't need to be served by Jesus out there. You don't need the washing and the power. But dear ones, the prerequisite for entrance into Jesus' kingdom is to be served by Jesus. 
And the very atmosphere, the very atmosphere of that kingdom is one of service. When Paul begins to teach or talk right to Timothy about deacons, that word deacon comes from a very regular word that just means servant. It just means servant. But along the way, and as the early church grew, these servants took on an official position. And that their job, these deacons... In chapter 3, we have two offices in the local church. We have overseers, which are overseers, pastors, elders, all the same thing. One office, and then you have another office for deacons. And these deacons, their very identity of the office is an identity of service. That there are men in this congregation that labor and serve in service to you, In ways that you have no idea. That they meet and they pray. They visit and they encourage. They deliberate and debate. They seek consensus. But their job is to serve. And as those who are appointed by Jesus to serve in our midst, then they offer us a very particular fragrance of Christ. That they're designed, this office designed by Jesus, who came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And we have appointed servants. Unless we think that this is somehow menial, Or secondary. Remember what I just said. Jesus came to serve. Not to be served. That the mark of greatness in the kingdom of God. The mark of a great life. And a great ministry. And a great walk with Jesus. Is not like this world. The world would tell you your greatness is dependent on how many people work for you in your company. How many people serve you in this way. But rather in the kingdom of God, it's not how many people serve you, but how do you serve other people? That the hierarchies of the world are flipped on their head in the context of the kingdom of God. And so deacons who are to be dignified, a life worthy of respect and emulation, not double-tongued, they shouldn't be hypocritical, not addicted to wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. That these are men serving you who are dignified and holy. And they must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear clear conscience. Why does it say that in verse 9? What is the mystery of the faith? The Apostle Paul, many places in his writings, talks about the mystery of the gospel. But the the one that's closest, the definition that's closest is later on in chapter 3. In verse 16, great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He, that is the second person of the Trinity, Jesus, was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up into glory. 
That they must hold the mystery of the gospel with a clear conscience. Meaning that they willingly and fully believe these things about Jesus. Why is it significant for deacons to so hold the gospel in such a way? It is because that they are very practically speaking the essence, the essence of the servant Jesus himself. That if they're going to serve as Jesus serves, then they must understand the gospel of Jesus' service. If deacons are going to serve as they're called to serve, then they must grasp clearly, fully, wholeheartedly the gospel of Jesus' service. But here's the thing. Just like last week with overseers, pastors, and shepherds, that the life that they live is not meant like somehow they're super soldier Christians. It's for them to believe that gospel. It's for them to believe these things with a clear conscience. Know that they are the essence of Jesus, the aroma of the servant Christ in our midst to call all of us to the same sort of faith. All of us to the same sort of service. Maybe not in office, but in practice. That the essence of being one of Jesus' people in the world is that we are servants to one another and to the world. And to take that posture, then we look to the servants in our midst. Who are the people that are diligently taking the example of washing of feet in our midst? These deacons have to be tested. We're actually, this is one thing we've done differently, right? Uh, we're about to, by the way, be prayerfully considering who, what individuals, what men in our congregation you would, you think are, are deacon material. There's certain stipulations about they have to be here a member for a year. And, um, but <clears throat> ask those individuals and bring their names to us. Because what... I say us, to the deacons and myself, because we're creating a list of, of guys that we've checked out, pre-vetted individuals, and we're going to here say, here, pick from this lot of guys to save you a little bit of the who's a deacon, who's not a deacon. Circle three names here. And then you need to be prayerfully considering that. And some of you guys are prayerfully considering whether or not you are to be a deacon. And the, the, the best way that I can say to, to filter your consideration is, are you willing to serve diligently as Christ in our midst and nobody pat you on the back for it? Are you ready to serve as Christ in our midst and nobody give you a claim, nobody give you appreciation, and nobody pat you on the back? That's not me saying I don't appreciate our deacons. I try to tell them as much as I can. They're, never mind, I'm not going to say that. Um, I love them. And the, my, I'll say this. Our deacons meetings these days for the last few years are much better than my deacons meetings my first few years. That's all I was trying to say. Uh, they're different. It's a different tenor in there. It's an encouragement to be around them. But if you're considering being, being a deacon, are you willing to serve? Sure, you'll get appreciation, pats on the back. But if you're doing it to be something, then you'll never be anything. Already have been served with Christ, in Christ. 
then they must be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove blameless. This is something that our church, one reason that we have to, this is brutal honest right now. We have to be diligent about verse 10 because we've had a string now of failures. You don't know these things and I'm not going to tell you the details. But you need to pray for your deacons. Pray for your pastors, but pray for your deacons. Because one thing that's assured, and I've said this, those of you who have been ordained as deacons since you've come, and I've had these conversations as you've considered it, that one thing is sure, as the Lord calls you out and places you in positions, in offices in the context of the church, pastor, deacon, but even if it's stuff like Sunday school teachers and other places where you have influence by service or otherwise, the guarantee, the guarantee is that it's like you're poking your head up out of the trench a little bit and the enemy will take his shots. You understand what I'm saying? Trench warfare, you pop your head out a little bit and everybody starts shooting at you. You say, I'm going I'm to serve Jesus' people. I'm going to try to further the mission of Christ in our community. We want to see more people come to Christ. We want to see more people cared for, more people served. Our church built together, knit together in love, a, a deeper fellowship, a richer connection with God and with each other and with the, the world around us. And I guarantee you guys, men and women, I guarantee you the snipers of Satan will take their shots. And it's devastating that right now I could tell you the the names of the men who have taken the shots and they've ran in their sin. So we must, they must be tested. That's why we're, we're working on how do we test? How do we vet How do we get in each other's grill a little bit? Get in each other's lives a little bit. Their lives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Ministry is never a solitary job. Especially if you're married, your wife, whether she likes it or not, is in it. She's in it as she prays for you. She's in it as she holds you up. As she hears some of the garbage, deacons don't give your wife all the garbage. That's the other thing. This is just real talk right now. Because we're real people. When you become a deacon, and even some of you just begin teaching Sunday school and you kind of step into deeper service in the church, you'll begin to realize, and and just to to remove any doubt... Uh, this is a church full of sinners saved by grace. And when you step into dealing and getting, getting life on life with people, you begin to realize sin's still there. And sometimes sinners act like sinners. Just FYI. When you become a deacon, it's like the, a little bit of the Sunday morning curtain is pulled back and, you're, and you think, they said what? They did what? I see them singing over here. And, and if you're not ready for that, you're not ready for a deacon, to be a deacon. If you're not ready to have the, the, have the realization that the people around you need the grace of Jesus 
as much as you do. If your righteousness is built upon yourself and not Christ, you're not ready to be a deacon. You understand what I'm saying? If your righteousness is built upon yourself, then it's, and it's built upon your comparison with other people. And so all of a sudden, when the people around you begin acting like they're in a fallen world, they're still plagued by indwelling sin, they still struggle and stumble and fall. If your righteousness is built on looking better than them, then all of a sudden you're going to be puffed up in pride on one hand, and then you're going to be looking down your nose in judgment upon them. And that will destroy the fellowship of the church. It, it wreaks havoc, self-righteousness, judgmentalism. Rather than saying, if, if there's any goodness in me, it's of Christ. And my right standing with God is in Christ. It's not of me, it's of grace. I have no business looking down my nose on somebody else. Now, I want to hold them accountable. I want to encourage them. I want to spur them on to love and good deeds. But the wives here, they have a lot of the same characteristics. Sober-minded. This, the word wife could also be translated women. And we'll get into all that maybe at another day. We don't have time right now. Um, we got into some of it a couple weeks ago. That was a 50-minute sermon, and I'm trying to avoid that maybe by a couple minutes. Just, it was a joke, but I'm like, I don't know. Um, And let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their households. Well, a lot of what I said about the the overseer stuff applies here. But again, the home is to be a little church. Deacons should be serving their wives and loving their wives as Christ loved the church and gave his life as a ransom for her. To present her there in Ephesians chapter 5. Pure and blameless. So the home should be a, a testing ground for deacon life. Managing their children and their households well. Because the same principle applies. If you can't do, can't be faithful with a little, how are you going to be faithful with much? If you can't be faithful with your one wife and the children the Lord has given you, then you're not ready to be faithful in the context of the church. It doesn't mean that you won't be one day, but right now maybe you need to try, you need to live in the trying grounds a little bit longer. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves. This is exactly what Jesus says, right? The last will be first. Those who are among you as servants, they will be the greatest among you. They gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. That as these deacons and even as you follow, their, their, imitate their path. That being a servant, taking on the posture of Jesus in the world, helps your assurance of faith. It does not rob you of it. You understand what I'm saying? That right now, how do you know you're saved? Right? That's a rhetorical question. I don't need half a dozen answers. But it's got to be something more than simply you did something in the past. I prayed this. I was baptized this time. I got a certificate that told me I was, I was saved. I must be saved. Jesus says it's the one who endures to the end that is saved. 
The evidence of your salvation, it is sure today as you have trusted upon Christ. It should be evident in your life as you're serving Jesus and serving other people. And it will come to fruition in the future. You are saved, you are being saved, and you will be saved. You're saved now from the penalty of sin. There is now, therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The penalty and the punishment of sin has been poured out upon Christ. He is the one who has absorbed the wrath of God in our stead. You, Christian, are not under punishment from God. Christ has been punished. The penalty of sin fell upon Jesus, trusting in Him, believing upon Him. That penalty is removed from you. Right now, you are being saved. You are being saved from the power of sin. You are being sanctified, big, big Bible word, meaning that you're growing up in Christ-likeness. More and more, now it's not like a, you know, you're not on the escalator, you know, with the music in the background. It's not, it's not an easy road where you don't have to do anything. It oftentimes looks like this, but sanctification means that your life, despite its dips and its valleys, spiritual life, that you're growing into Christ-likeness. And as you grow in Christ-likeness, the, the power of sin in your life grows less and less. Perfection is not, not possible this side of glory, but less and less your re- sin reigns in you. And more and more righteousness. You are being saved from the power of sin. You're being sanctified out of it. And then one day, by God's power and by God's grace in Christ, you will be saved from the presence of sin. One day we will be in heaven. And not just heaven, we'll be in the new heavens and the new earth. In the new Jerusalem that God, is, God Jesus has gone ahead of us to prepare that for us. He's not just created a Hilton Inn for you or whatever else. A Hampton Inn, turned down the sheets, put a mint on the pillow, said, come on in. He's crafting a new heavens and a new earth. And a new Jerusalem where we will live with Him forever. And there will be no more sorrow or sickness or death because there's no more sin. You will be saved from the power of the presence, excuse me, the penalty and the power and the presence of sin. How do you know you're going to be saved? How do you know you are saved? That's a bigger conversation. But one of the things this text tells us is that those who serve as deacons have great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Faith grows as you serve in Jesus' name as Jesus. Another way to say this, your faith will grow, deacon, pastor, non-deacon, whoever else, your faith in Jesus grows as you live like Jesus. Your faith in Jesus grows as you're obedient to Christ. Your faith in Jesus grows both as you are served by Christ, you acknowledge your neediness of the gospel, and then you go out of neediness in the power of the Spirit. Right? We don't, we don't serve as pastors. We don't serve as deacons. We don't serve as church members. Which you, you, have a, you have a ministry to serve in, by the way. You don't serve as those things in your own power. You serve out of your neediness because God's power is demonstrated in our and perfected in our weaknesses. So what am I saying? The deacons amongst us 
They are here to be the aroma of the servant Jesus. To be the ever-present reminder that the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And for deacons, I'm incredibly encouraged by you all. For those of you who are, there are current deacons in here, there are deacons who have rotated off in here, and I'm thankful for all of you. I don't, I'd start calling you all off, off but I don't want to forget somebody and then upset somebody. But I'm encouraged by you, and I'm reminded, I'm reminded that I need to be served by Jesus as much as anybody else. And I need to be served by God's people more than anything else. And one of the the backbones of healthy, true Christian community is where we are humble enough to be served by other people. You You know why? If I'm going to be served by you, you're going to have to know when I don't have it together. You're going to have to know when, um, and I could tell stories, right? Um, that you, you're going to have to know when we're, we're all sick and we're all down and I, and I need, you know, you bring me a bag of like toiletries and necessities because we can't get out. The stomach bug is like wrecked us. This happened. This has happened more than once. Or our kids are absolutely out of control. It's been a crazy day. This and this and this happened. I had no idea. I have no idea how we're going to get dinner. And then people come and help us cook dinner. And you might think, well, that's great. You're the pastor. Well, yeah, I am. It's still unbelievable, I know. To me, too. (laughs) But it's because people know my weakness. They know my need. And if we're going to have a vibrant, Christ-centered community, then you have to be open enough to people and to your deacon to be served by them. If you need something, even if it's just, hey, I just, today's been rough. I don't know where the Lord is in all this. Would you just pray for me? Or could we talk for a minute? Or can we grab coffee or lunch or dinner or something? But you've got to let them know of your need. The longer that we all keep up our facades, that we don't actually need anything, the longer we will be prevented from truly connecting with each other. Because that's the same, that's what happens with, with God, right? The longer that I keep up that facade with God saying, God, would you just bless all these other people? I'm fine, but would you just help all of these other people? Or we let God in a little bit. We don't actually want to open up. Here's the, here's the muck and the mire of my heart that God he already knows about it, y'all. And he, he loves you for it. And one of the ways that we embody that as a church is that we want to get down into your heart a little bit together too. And we want to love you there. If Jesus didn't come loving righteous, perfect people, then our church is not going to grow by only loving righteous, perfect people because there ain't none. My mom's going to watch that later and lose her mind that I said ain't none. Sorry, mama. I know better. There's none. So if you're going to be deep life with Christ, pull back the shades. Walk in the light. You're a sinner who needs Jesus' grace.
You need your life, his life, given as a ransom for yours. And if you're going to walk this life together with us, let's be a people who's willing to pull back the shades a little bit and say, will you come into my life? I'm I'm really missing somebody right now. I need your help. Well, my workplace is just beating me to shreds. I just need some encouragement. Or I'm really struggling with this sin and I can't seem to get victory over it. Would you come and pray this stronghold down with me? A million different places where we need somebody to come alongside of us. And if you're struggling, where do I do that? How do I begin to get vulnerable with somebody? A great place would simply just call your deacon up. And so I wanna, I'm going to... I am going to read off those who are currently deacons who are in the room, okay? And if you don't know who your deacon is, send me a, a text or an email or text or call or not text, but call or send an email to Blanche and we'll get that info to you. If you need somebody to get real with and somebody to pray with, these guys are here for you, okay? I didn't tell them that I was going to do this, so I just told them if they could be here to be here. So um, there's Peter who's saying, who's awesome. Peter, stand up. Peter Shores is our chairman of Deacon back there. Um, Patrick is playing with his band. Patrick Russell plays bluegrass, if you guys know him. They're playing up in First Baptist uh, Winsboro, so they're not cutting church, really. Uh, just kidding. Um, Sherman and Damon are both in the sound booth. Um, there's Jim Shelley and Jeff Brown. Monty Carter. Who else am I missing? Um, Brian Bradley's not here. Sherman's away. So here are one, two, three, four, five, six, six yeah, seven, eight. So um, get to, if you, these guys are here for you, right? All y'all, you signed on for this. Um, they love you. They care about you. They have your name on a list. Sometimes they try to call y'all and you don't answer. You don't call them back, call them back. Um, but call them, shoot them a call, shoot them a text. Uh, and they would love to pray with you. They would love to co- walk with you. Uh, and to, and to, so that you grow up into all that Jesus has for you. Thanks, guys. You can be seated. Um, and they are the, they're the, they're to be the essence of Christ in our midst. So I'm thankful, I'm thankful to serve at a church with godly deacons. Um, and I'm excited about what the Lord is doing in our midst. Um, so let me pray. We'll be done. Father in heaven, I thank you for your mercy and for the gift of Christ who came to serve us. And I thank you that you have called us to showcase Christ by serving one another. And I thank you for these these men that have just had stand up for your grace in their lives. And I pray for your protection over them and for their homes, their families, their wives. And I pray for our church that, Lord, you would begin to help us to walk in the light together, to know that we are all needy of what Jesus offers and that we all need real connection. We, we need real people around us that love us and care for us uh, as a demonstration of your love to us. Father, I do want to say that there are some who are on the outside looking in and there's, they're thinking right now, I've got this. I've got this hurt, this wound. I'm, I, don't, I can't see a way forward here. My home is a wreck. My marriage is a wreck. My, I'm having difficulty with my kids or my parents. And they've never trusted you, Jesus. 
They've never surrendered their life to you. Would you help them to see not only have you come to serve them, to save them with all of their junk, all of their baggage, all of their sin, that you want them, you love them. But Lord, that you have brought them here for this moment, for this time, that this church might love them as well. So Father, would you do your work in them? Would you rescue those who are far from you, that they might cry out to Christ in faith? Would you build your church and help us be real with each other, to welcome each other into our needs, to our weakness, that we might be able to point each other to Christ and be built up greater and greater into his image together. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Would you stand and respond?